Welcome to SciSection. My name is Amy Stewart, and I am the journalist for the SciSection radio show broadcasted on CFMU 93.3 FM radio station. We are here today with Arthi Sinha Mayapin, a PhD student in neuroscience at Queen's University who's doing some fascinating research regarding mental illness. Thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Thanks, Amy, and thank you to SciSection for having me. Um, I'm happy to be here. To begin, tell us about your educational and career background. Uh, of course. So I started doing my undergrad at Queen's University in life sciences. Um, and then I went on to do my master's in neuroscience and my PhD in neuroscience currently. So I'm still a PhD student right now. I'm in my second year. Um, a little bit about my educational background. So I started working in research in my second year with Dr. Catherine Harkness. Um, she's currently the head of the psychology department at Queen's University, and we worked on some research with childhood maltreatment um, and depressive symptoms later on in your life. Um, and then later on through Catherine Harkness, Dr. Harkness, I met um, Dr. Malev, who's my current supervisor, who I did my master's with. Um, and at the beginning, actually, I didn't really know what my project was going to be, just that I wanted to work um, with Dr. Malev and the Canadian um, biomarker Sucanbind, which is the Canadian Biomarker Integrated Network in Depression. Um, and then a month or so in, I learned about my research project and an opportunity to work with gut brain access um, treatment known as MET2, which I'll explain to you a little bit later on as well. Um, and that's kind of how I got on to this current, um, my current clinical trial that I'm working on with um, microbiome product known as MET2, which is a repopulation therapy for um, the gut, which we assume is going to help with uh, depressive symptoms and anxiety symptoms. So that's a little bit about my educational and career background. That is very cool. It seems like you got started in research very early on in your education. That's very impressive. And I'm sure a lot of undergraduate students are hoping for the same. So right now you're working on research involving the link between the gut and microbiome and mental illness, like you previously stated. Tell us what that means and how you got started in this area. Yeah, so the gut-brain axis, um, you probably hear this all the time. And if you look up papers, it's probably the first sentence of every paper. Um, it's a bi-directional signaling pathway um, that's between our brain and our gut. Um, and I don't know if you know, but there's trillions of bacteria in our gut and they actually communicate with our brain through different links. Um, so some links are neural, some are endocrine and some are immune. And we're still kind of working on teasing out these links. So our gut microbiota are actually critical in our development of the immune system our central nervous system, um, GI functioning, and autonomic nervous system. So it's essentially an organ of its own, if you wanna think of it that way. And studies have shown that gut microbiota play this vital role in regulating aspects of brain development and function. And basically what we do is we're trying to figure out in disease or stress states, when these pathways become compromised, it causes intestinal dysbiosis, changes in mood, changes in behavior, changes in cognition, um, even changes in like inflammatory levels. As you can imagine, if you're in a disease or stress state, sometimes your gut isn't doing so well. Um, and my project, what we do is we look at um, a product called MET2, which is 40 different strains of bacteria. And we're trying to see when we repopulate the gut with this with healthy bacteria, because the reason that they're in disease and stress state, we assume, is because the bacteria are not healthy. Um, if that causes a improvement in depressive and anxiety symptoms because of the links that I mentioned with the neural endocrine and immune system. 
Um, and MET2 is supposed to be like a safer alternative to fecal microbiota transplant. Um, so fecal microbiota transplant right now is also really big in this field of research, um, but MET2 is meant to be less invasive and less costly because you're not taking direct raw fecal material. Um, and it's also an oral administration rather than through like an endoscopy. Um, and currently in my research, I'm doing a placebo control trial. So comparing MET2 um, for depressive symptoms to a placebo alternative. Of course, the participants in the trial don't know if they're receiving a placebo or MET2, and neither do I, as it's a double-blind study. Um, and the idea is that this repopulation of the gut bacteria is going to improve their depressive symptoms um, and significantly more than it does for a um, the with the placebo alternative. As we know, the placebo does have like around a 30 percent improvement uh, rate. So we want to make sure um, that the participants are improving by 40 to 50 percent, at the very least, 50 percent being what we consider responders to the treatment. Um, and that's kind of my PhD project. The reason I got involved with this PhD project or how I got involved with it is through my master's project. So the company that we work with that creates Metu is called Nebiota, um, and they provided us a little bit of funding for my master's project to just test it in a small population and to see if it works at all with um, participants with depression and anxiety. And so we tried it in those participants and we actually found a significant improvement in the majority of the participants. Um, but again, like I said, placebo improvement is quite high in um, depressive populations. So we wanted to see if this was due to placebo effect or if because, um, sorry, if it's because of MET2. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of my research, the gut brain access, and how I got involved with my current trial. That is fascinating. Uh, it makes total sense that something that is so closely intertwined with our endocrine system and our hormones would have such a profound effect on our brain. But I feel like people's minds don't go directly to the, the bacteria in your gut. That's, that's a very cool research project you're working on. My next question is, what are some of your most significant findings from your research that you haven't already stated? And are there any applications in the diagnosis and treatment of mental illness? Yeah, so the research I mentioned already for my master's, we did find significant improvement in uh, depressive symptoms and anxiety symptoms, but also in sleep, um, which is pretty closely linked to um, depressive symptoms. And we're not really sure actually what comes first in some situations as well. Is it poor sleep or is it depression? Same thing with is it a poor gut or depression? So it's kind of interesting to see all these different links. Um, we also recently did a systematic review on fecal transplants for psychiatric symptoms, uh, a couple of the students in my lab. And we found that all the studies decrease, it show a decrease in depressive and anxiety-like symptoms and behaviors. And this is as a result of the transplantation of healthy microbiota. So this is not quite my research um, particularly, but it's all the research that's out there on fecal microbiota transplantation. Um, and the opposite was also found with depressive and anxiety symptoms and behaviors that are being transferred from transplanting a psychiatrically ill, like the, sorry, the microbiota from a psychiatrically ill donor, so like an unhealthy microbiota to a healthy mouse. And they found that that mice was actually exhibiting depressive symptoms. So this is some cool research that's going on right now. And now we're trying to figure out the mechanisms behind these improvements. And to be honest, what exactly is a healthy microbiome? That's something we're trying to figure out. Um, I don't think we're quite at the level of diagnosing based on gut microbiome composition. Maybe when we've defined what a healthy microbiome is, but I do think that probiotics and prebiotics, which are compounds that you can find um, in food that help grow would help with the growth and activity of good microorganisms like bacteria and fungi. 
um, can actually be used to maintain healthy microbiome to prevent chronic mental illness. So not so much diagnosis, but as a prevention method. Um, again, we need a lot more research in this field before we can say anything for certain. And in like more chronic cases, um, I think also like transplanting bacteria from a healthy donor um, may reset their gut and prevent ongoing chronic illness. Um, I also think in the future, it's a great path for developing personalized treatments, which is where my interest kind of comes in for psychiatric illness. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but with depression, it looks very different in different individuals. You can have a young like girl with um, you know, anhedonia or loss of interest in things, um, who's losing weight because they don't have an appetite and not sleeping as much. And you can have an older male who is oversleeping, overeating, um, has really, you know, crappy, depressed mood. And both of them technically have the diagnosis of major depressive disorder. So how can we treat both of them with the exact same product, which currently is first-line treatments or antidepressants. Um, so analyzing the microbiome before treating um, and supplementing the patient with the necessary healthy bacteria might be like a good way to get started, but I don't think we're quite there yet. And that's why I'm also quite interested in this field because it is pretty up and coming um, and there's a lot more room for like moving forward. Oh, that is very neat. The idea that you said that it's a, a good potential for personalized treatments is fascinating. I think that'll be so awesome in a field that deals with so many diverse people with so many different backgrounds. Uh, I think personalized treatment is definitely needed in uh, treating mental illnesses. Uh, my next question is, what advice would you give to undergraduate students who want to get involved in research? Yeah, so something I would say is try all kinds of things, meet different people from different fields, because you can't possibly know what's interesting to you if you haven't heard of it. Um, I think it could be a tricky thing and finding a balance is key. So you want to stay focused and not be pulled in too many directions, which I struggle with. Um, but you also want to keep learning new things. And so again, this is something that I'm working on and I'll check with me in a few years and see how it's going for me. But research is so versatile and there's so many different opportunities out there. And oftentimes people confuse getting into research with directly with becoming a professor. And while that's one like amazing route to go into, it's a tough option. Um, and there are so many other options out there and people go into law, into consulting, into medicine, public health, pharmaceuticals. They start working for startups, investigating new therapies. There's just endless options if you look for them. So I'd say if I were to go back and give myself advice as an undergraduate student, that's what I would say is, look in all directions um, and don't limit yourself. And that is very good advice. I feel like often students have a very one-track mind about trying to get all this experience and so many different types of research and it can be very overwhelming. So I think you're right, mm -hmm. focusing on uh, just a few passionate projects that you have is probably the best way to go about it. Uh, yeah. For my last question is, what area of neuroscience and psychiatry do you think needs further investigation? Yeah, I would say um, the innovative and unconventional treatments. So we do some exciting work with Cambine, the Canadian Biomarker Integration Network and Depression I mentioned earlier, um, all across Canada in investigating novel and unconventional treatments, um, particularly like ketamine, brain stimulation, music therapy, things like that. And some other investigation investigators around the world are also doing work with uh, cannabis and psilocybin at the moment. And while I agree with the use of antidepressants have been life-changing for a lot of individuals, I think that given the neuropsychiatric illness, like I mentioned before, looks so different in each affected individual, we need to explore a variety of options. And I'm really excited to be a part of this era and beginning to investigate all these unconventional and honestly, like in some cases, effective based on limited trials, obviously, um, treatments. But yeah, that I'd say is probably the area that we need to kind of move into um, and 
it's been kind of hindered a little bit by stigma. Um, but I think that we are moving forward in that direction. And that's an area I'm excited for. And I think needs a little bit more investigation. That's very interesting. It definitely goes along with what you're doing in your research, uh, how individuals with different presenting mental illnesses definitely need different ways to treat it. It can't all be treated with one way for every single person. That is very cool. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Arthi. Your research is so fascinating and is bound to have a great impact on the treatment of mental illnesses. I'm glad you could come on the show today and share it with the science community. No problem. Thanks for having me, Amy. That's it for this week of SciSection. Make sure to check out our podcast available on global platforms for our latest interviews.